What's going on, Newbirth Young Adults? Can y'all make some noise? Bell said, as Joe Bell said, uh, we had a little break to, to kind of come down uh, from that worship experience. Wasn't worship crazy? Oh my, come on, wasn't worship crazy? Now, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I'm still not over it. I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of, like, you know, when, when you get through a breakup, you just, it doesn't take one day. Like, breakups hurt that bad. So imagine if a breakup can hurt you that bad, which is separation, imagine what happens whenever you become one with your heavenly father. Like if a human leaving me can do so much damage to me, imagine what a God joining in with me can build for my life. And, and, and I, I, was, I was standing there, I was standing there. If I get emotional, don't judge me. Just cry with me. It'll make me feel better. I, I was standing there and, and I, just, I just heard and I, I felt, I didn't hear it verbally, but I, I heard it from the inside, the voice of God saying, Dennis, moments like this happen when you remember who I am. This is what Paul's been saying this entire time. He's been saying, I didn't teach you that false gospel you've been trying to practice. I, I didn't teach you what those other people are teaching you. That's not the original message of Jesus. So the whole message of Galatians is really remember what the original story of God's love for you was. And every time we enter a moment of worship like this, it's simply because you are remembering who God truly is. You're remembering that he fights your battles even when you feel like you're losing. You're remembering that if it feels like you're going backwards, it's probably because God's reversing you into your purpose. You're remembering that when God says, hey, I got your back, he actually has your back, your arms, your legs, your head, your tail. He's got every single part of you. And tonight, maybe the only message that you need to hear isn't a new one, but it's an old one of remembering who God is. Maybe God doesn't have to give you a new promise tonight. Maybe he just has to remind you of the promise he already has given you. He doesn't have to save you again. He just has to point to the cross and say, I already did it. Maybe it's not a new relationship you need. Maybe it's freedom from the old ones. And man, it, it, this, not, this is not in my nose. This is God speaking directly to you because you need to let go of some things tonight. Because there, there's people here that, that were worshiping, and I just felt it in my spirit. They were, they were worshiping, but, but it felt like they were just hitting a ceiling. It was crazy. God never put that ceiling over me. And so why am I allowing things that God never placed in my life to stop me from experiencing God? So I'm going to preach for the next couple of minutes. I really hope you take notes. I really hope you write something down that could bless you to remove the ceiling that you had over you. We're going to jump right back into worship, so I might cut my sermon short. Worship team, please be ready because... We're going to go crazy because I believe God is crazy in love with us right now. And, and he wants to do something special tonight. I, I, I really sense freedom happening in the room tonight. So I want you to take down notes. I, I know I, I normally come up and I'm very hype. I'm very loud. Anybody take a note? Show your notes. And I do all this. But tonight I really feel like before anyone speaks, God wants to have the first word. He wants to speak. Can I be honest? I, I don't want to get in the way of God's word anymore. I don't. And maybe that's been you where you know God's kind of sharing something with you. The past couple of weeks through Galatians, he's been saying something and you're kind of like, oh, God, you know, I, I want another word. I don't want that word. God, I asked for a McDouble. You gave me one meat. I wanted double, God. God, I asked for a large fry. Why you gave me a small fry? 
I can imagine God responding to us because you don't have enough appetite for a long trip. You're asking, but you don't have the hunger for what you're asking for. And so tonight, God is going to write something, and maybe not everything is for you, but maybe one thing is for you, and that's all that you need tonight. Come on, we believe that one word from God can change my life. One moment with Jesus can change my eternity. One moment with Jesus can change my future. And so tonight, maybe you don't get something from everything I say, but at least chase after one thing from God. I want to read to you Galatians chapter 4. I don't have a title for tonight's sermon. I think God was too focused on what he was going to say. He didn't want to give it a title. So it's just Galatians chapter 4 and 5 we're reading. And we're going to start off in Galatians 4, 1 through 7. We'll pray, get right into this. The Bible says, think of it this way. Paul is writing. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. Verse 2. They have to obey their guardians up until they reach whatever age their father sets. And that's the way that it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the right time, somebody say right time. When the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. Verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us. We were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Last two verses here, we're going to pray. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out this phrase, Abba, Father. Verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. And since you are his child, guess what he did? God has made you his heir. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we thank you so much. For every moment that we make together, God, thank you for the memories. God, thank you for for the moments of worship that you meet us right where we're at, God. Last week, we learned that there's nothing that we could do, God, that could move you closer to us, God. Because you already come on your own, Jesus. You, You make your way to us before we can even say yes, God. So tonight, God, I know it's no different. You're chasing after us. God, tonight you're speaking to us. You're loving us. And your word is setting us free. Come on, everybody in the room, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for leading me here tonight. Speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen, amen. Uh, I'm a real reflective kind of guy. I think about my life. Anybody just sit and reflect a lot? You just, you're a thinker. You're an overthinker. You're a double down overthinker. Like you bet on yourself, bet against yourself at the same time. Yeah, that's me. I'm definitely an overthinker. And uh, gets the best of me all the time. And, and, and I catch myself reflecting recently. I was reflecting on how I grew up. Anybody in the room, you just grew up a little too crazy. Like you're invited. Like, how did I survive my childhood? Anybody question that, right? Wait, I'm not dead? Hold on. What's going I actually survived 15, 13, 7, yeah. I grew up around a crazy family. I'm still with them. Come on, somebody. Uh, I grew up in, in crazy neighborhoods with random people doing random stuff, did not make sense. And I also made crazy decisions. Any of us, we just, we done, we done some stupid stuff growing up. And yeah, I did a lot of that. And uh, I remember one of the craziest things I've ever learned. I was like, why the heck did I have to learn this way? Why couldn't I learn the normal way that everyone learned? You know, it, it was how to ride a bike. Yeah, riding a bike was stupid. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Riding a bike was the dumbest thing that my family ever tried to teach me. I was about 13 years old. What, 13? Yes, 
I'm a late bloomer. Come on, somebody. 13 years old. And uh, one day we were having a conversation at the table. We're like, we never sit at the table. But this week we did, right? We were at the table just talking, hanging out. And my sister stops us and she's like, hey, you know what I just realized? We never taught Dennis how to ride a bike. I'm like, oh, my God, no way. I don't know how to ride a bike. Isn't it like I'm, I'm not ashamed about it until someone told me I couldn't do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I don't know how to ride a bike. Don't tell nobody. So my dad, being the great creative father that he is, he decided tonight you're going to learn how to ride a bike. So I'm a 14-year-old boy. Right now I'm 21, but I still have the body of a 14-year-old, so I was even smaller back then. And my dad decides to put me on his 20-something-year-old sized bike. And uh, it didn't go too well, as you can tell. Now, obviously, those older bikes, you can't really put training wheels on them. So my dad decided that he would hold on to me the whole way through. And like every great dad who is faithful to his children and promises he'll never let them go, he let me go. <laughs> and I remember going down the driveway. I thought it was on Sheik Road, just aiming straight down. The driveway was like a 10-degree slam, but it felt like 90. I was like, oh, my God. That was crazy, horrible. And I went all the way out to the middle of the road, and it was a cul-de-sac. So I was in a circle. I was like, Dad, you got to help me stop. I don't know. I wasn't even pedaling. I was just like turning sideways, slanted. I got stuck in this position, and I was in the circle all the way up until he caught me. Now, hopefully, most of you didn't have uh, the trauma that I had as a child, and you actually had some training wheels in your life. Any training wheel learners in here? Anybody? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. You guys order Chipotle and get guac on the side. I know you. Yeah, yeah. I'm judging y'all. I can't trust a training wheel learner. I can't. It's just not my thing. If you learn in training wheels, I'm going to have a hard time trusting you because um, I had a different experience, you know. I feel like you're privileged. I'm not. I'm jealous. It's all right. We'll, we'll go to therapy together for it. We'll be friends after. See, the, the thing about training wheels that maybe most of us are like me and you had a crazy upbringing with bikes. The thing about training wheels is they work a very specific way. They're very tight to the ground so that if you're leaning to the right, the wheel catches you on the back. If you lean to the left, guess what the wheel does? It catches you on the left. And the way that you learn through training wheels is that you tighten the top so that the wheels elevate just a little bit more. So that you have to rely on them a little bit less. And you keep on tightening them over and over and over until they're so high that if they're touching the ground, it's probably because you fell over. So you learn slowly and progressively how to balance yourself with the main wheels of the bike. See, the reason I share this with you is because in the Bible, the story that we're reading about Paul writing to the church in Galatia, they were relying on training wheels that were useless. They were depending on these things. And Jesus was like, hey, hey, Jesus actually removed, Paul is saying, Jesus actually removed the training wheels from me the moment he died on the cross. See, these training wheels, they were like the law. As long as I can rely on the law, I know I'm in right standing with God. These wheels were circumcision. As long as I'm circumcised, I know that I'm in right standing with God. I don't know what kind of training wheels you came in with tonight. I don't know what kind of training wheels that are elevated all the way up that you're still relying on tonight. Excuses kind of like, you know what, this is just who I am, Pastor. I'm just this way. My attitude is going to stay here because this is who I am, Pastor. There's no way I could forgive them because it's just my pain and I got to go through my process and it's my life and so I feel however I want to feel. These are our training wheels that we come into the presence of God with all and Paul speaks to these people and he says, hey, I need to let you know Jesus died and resurrected so that you wouldn't have to use training wheels anymore. 
You wouldn't have to rely on that verse in your bio to show everyone you're a Christian anymore. You wouldn't have to post every time that you spend time with God, even though it might happen only just once a week. You don't got to show that to everybody anymore. And these false teachers were in the, in the church of Galatia saying, no, 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 you better keep them training wheels on board. That's the only way that God knows and you know that you're right with him. Paul is saying, well, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says this, I, I, I phrase it for our way so we can understand it. Paul is speaking to them and he says, don't settle for the aesthetic of spiritual training wheels. Because some of us, we, we don't have to be Christian. We just got to look Christian and it feels like we are Christian. Some of us, as long as we're in the room every Tuesday night, we're good with God. As long as I know the song they're singing without looking at the screens, I'm a good Christian. Let me take it a step further. As long as they see me serving, I'm a real good Christian. As long as everyone in the room knows that I'm a leader, I took next steps. We settle for this aesthetic. We, we settle for this Christian look. And, and, and it's crazy how we made Christianity more about the Christian than the Christ. We made it more about how the Christian can look instead of how he looks like Jesus. See, Paul is speaking to the church and he's saying, hey, now it's time. And we said this in week one, we're saying it again. Now it's time to have genuine faith. Not a faith that relies on training wheels. Not a faith that relies on external things like the law or things on the outside like circumcision. It's a genuine faith. Now, now you have to understand who Paul is speaking against. Paul is talking against people that are used to, somebody say used to. They're used to seeing God work in a certain way. Before Jesus, we was all crazy, come on somebody. Before Jesus... The way that you would experience God is through things like the burning bush. They looked at their ancestors. Oh, Moses, a burning bush. They looked at David. David, the tabernacle. It was this box that the presence of God was literally living inside. And if you wanted a moment with God, number one, you needed to be holy. And number two, you needed to get to that box. Then later on in history, the box then goes into a room called the Holy of Holies. And the only way you could experience God was through the Holy of Holies. But not just anybody could get in that room. It was one select man who had to step into that room for everyone in the nation. And if he was in sin, he would die the moment he went in that room. So these people, they're looking at history. They're looking at how God was moving. And they're saying, wait, every time we see God, he's connected to a place or a thing. So you have to understand that the false truth that they're teaching isn't something they're doing out of nastiness or greed. They were just taught incorrectly. So the teaching, every time you see God, guess what he's connected to? A place or a thing. Isn't it crazy we do that so unintentionally? I want to go to God. I got to go to church. I want to go to God. I want to speak to God. I got to speak to pastor right away, right after service. I'm the first person he's talking to. Maybe you're a mature Christian in the room. Sorry for the quotes. That was offensive. <laughs> Maybe you're a mature Christian in the room. And so instead of limiting God to church, now you limit him to your car. Oh my God, every time I'm in my car, I just feel the Holy Spirit gripping on the wheels. I'm driving and the music is on blast. And the moment you're in your car in silence, you don't feel God no more. The moment you step out of your car into your house, you are demonic. And so some of us, right, we're new in the church. And so the only moment you can experience God is in church. But some of us, we're a little bit too mature for church. So the only place I experience God is in my prayer closet. It's in my car. It's in my driveway. Isn't it crazy that you took the same principle but put it in a different place? 
you never actually grew. You, ever, you never actually matured. You just moved God from a burning bush to a tabernacle. And for some reason, you felt like it was growth. You felt like it was maturity. You, you felt like what you did actually made you a better Christian. A more, you had a, a higher Christian credit score, as I like to say to some people. Christian credit score is 777. Come on, somebody. Now, she got that 666. Right? Her Christian credit score is down the drain. She got no real estate in heaven. And, and so in order to get a better Christian credit score, we have to pay certain things on time to God. We have to deposit certain things into our relationship with Jesus. And we made it all about how many times we can lean on our training wheels. I love what he says in, in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. You see, in this verse alone, Paul is letting them know, hey, he's not in the training wheels anymore. Guess where he's at? He's in your Paul is letting him know, hey, you're looking at the wrong things to find God. You're looking in the law to find God. He's not there no more. You're looking in the tabernacle to find God. He's not there no more. You're looking in the church to find God. He's not there no more. He's actually in the heart of every single believer. What Paul is basically saying is that God went from wheels to worshipers. He's not in your wheels no more, my friend. Let go of those things. God actually doesn't move on wheels. He moves on worshipers. I want you to write this down. When you get used to God, it's easy to lose sight of him. They were so used to seeing God in every wheel, every, every, every law, every, every verse, and, and all the writings, and, and all the Old Testament. They were so used to seeing God in specific ways that they forgot that God actually wants to show up in a special way in their life. Tonight, maybe this is you. I want to read what Paul says. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit. Somebody say Spirit. He sent the spirit of his son into where? Our hearts. And what is he doing in our hearts? I love this. He's prompting us to call out to him, Abba, Father. Church, I have a question for you. I want you to answer. Where does he live? In our hearts. And what is he prompting us to do? To call out, Abba, Father. You ever had a moment where you're just kind of like sitting or like, um, or you're like on your phone and you just feel like, oh my God, I got to get closer to God. Like, there's this, you're like talking to somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, I just feel like I'm so far away and I got to get closer. Or maybe, maybe some of us, we, this week we were feeling all week like, oh my gosh, I just got to go to church. Oh my God, I, I just feel like I need to pray. Maybe, maybe some Christians in the room and you've been doing this for a while, so you wake up at 5 a.m. and you're like, oh my God, the Lord woke me up. You've been there, I know, come on, I ain't judging, I'm just kicking rocks at you too. My God, I, I just, I have this feeling like I have to do something for God and with God. I, I need to let you know, bro, that's not just you saying that to yourself. Because the Galatians 4, 6 says that there's a man by the name of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in our hearts. And what is he prompting us to do? To call out to God saying, Abba, Father. In other words, every single time you felt like, man, I, I should probably talk to God. Or, man, I need to get closer to God. That's not just you speaking on your own. That's God living in you saying, hey. I just want to spend time with you. That's God waking up a light bulb inside of you saying, hey, I think right now is a good time to spend time with you. You know, if we don't understand what God is doing, we'll give God different definitions. 
So when you feel that way, what you would say is, oh, I really got to go to church next week. But really what God is telling you is don't go to church next week. Stop where you are right now. He's not saying don't wait till next service. There's something happening right. Now, you might be in the bathroom saying, man, I think I got to go to church. But really what God is telling is not go to church. It's, hey, stop right now and know that I'm with you. Because I'm in your hearts. And, and look what he's prompting us to do. Not to say I got to go to church next week. Not to say I got to talk to pastor, even though those might be things he'll lead you to eventually. What it's prompting us to do is to call out, Abba, Father. I want you to write this down because I need you to practice this. This is probably one of the most spiritual things I've ever taught anyone, and I'm going to give it to you right now. And it's that sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is be aware that God is with you. Sometimes the, the most spiritual, Holy Spirit-filled moment you can have is simply being aware that he's with I can't tell you how many times I have cried ugly tears. Like, I have had muckles under my neck Simply, not because there was a song playing, not because I said something, but simply I'm in my car. And for some reason, I just remind myself, God's right next to me. And, oh my God, just the fact that I know he's next to me, I am completely undone and broken and mad. I am a wreck simply with the fact, with the known fact that God is in the car with me. Imagine how much more you paid attention to this word if you knew God was right there. Go ahead, look at the chair. Literally, I, I do this. I practice this. Because sometimes just knowing a truth doesn't let me live in that truth. I have to push myself to practice this truth. Imagine if you understood with all of your heart that God was in that corner chair right there. Not by saying a verse to yourself. Not by waiting for a certain song, but simply just keeping it simple. Just knowing that God is there. You see, Paul could have said anything, but the truth he shares is that God lives in their hearts. And tonight, what I want you to start practicing throughout your week is this idea of being aware. He's just right next to you. When you're tired and overwhelmed and you feel like you have to pray to, te to teleport to God, just be aware that he's with you. When you feel like your worship will lead you to the Holy Spirit escalators and take you up to the heavens like John. It's not, oh, it's not always a revelation moment where the Spirit lifts you up. Sometimes the Spirit has already been sitting there next to you. And what you have to do is not say, God, how can I climb up to you through prayer and worship and fasting, even though those things are good and you should practice them. Maybe what you need is saying, God, I know you're with me right here. My parents are fighting in the living room, but God, I know you're with me right here. God, I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. My unemployment just got cut. But what I do know is that you're right here with me. I might not have money, but I'm not broke. I might not even have happiness, but I got joy. I, I might not be able to hold my purpose in my hands, but if Jesus is next to me, I know he's got my purpose, so I'm just chilling. And tonight, I think a lot more Christians would have peace within their heart if they simply learn how to practice being aware of the Spirit of God in their lives. See, Paul has different tones, and he switches through them as he's writing this. In chapter 1, we read the first week, he's like, whoa, you guys are okay? Like, y'all chilling? Y'all good? What y'all doing believing this other gospel? He, in, in the first chapter, he's astonished. He's like shocked. What's going on with y'all? Second chapter, we go on to last week's service. Please listen to the podcast. It's so good. He goes on to a new tone, and he is frustrated. He is livid 
Anybody ever used that word recently? Oh, ah. Es que mira. I was at the grocery store. I went to get popcorn. They had no popcorn. I was livid. Dunkin' Donuts ain't had no cream and sugar. Livid. They had no liquid sugar. Livid. Right? You just like strain your throat. Livid. Paul was P.O. Pissed off. So upset. If he could curse at them, I believe he would. He literally says in, in, in the third chapter, you fools. Multiple times he says, are you all dumb? What you doing believing this baloney? I mean, I gave you the truth. What are you, why are you going over to the old ways? No, no, no. I'll let you know what's true. And he's frustrated. But then we get a little switch in four and five. In chapters four, he goes from upset, livid, whatever, all these emotions. And he goes more to like a, <clears throat> my children. He switches to a fatherly tone. Verse 13, he even references that what he's experiencing with this church is like birth pains. He says, I'm hurting so much for you guys. It's like these birth pains are, are coming out of me as I'm trying to build you up in the Lord. And he takes this, this fatherly approach. I remember growing up, can I be honest with y'all? I really hated my parents. So much so that there would not go a week that I would look at them in the eyes and say, I hate you. I was that son. I was the son that goes to Beyond Scared Straight for doing crazy stuff. <laughs> I never sold drugs or nothing, but if I could, I'd be in Beyond Scared Straight, guaranteed. And I'd look at this big old man with muscles named Tootsie, and I'd be like, what's up, Tootsie? I live here. I, I was that guy. Rebellious in every way. My mom, she is a principal, and I got expelled from one of her campuses. Don't ask me why. <laughs> That's not the sermon today. And I was a PK, not a pastor's kid, but you know pastor's kids are crazy. I was a principal's kid. I don't know if that's crazier or not. That was me. That was I. I was it, right? And I remember growing up, I did anything and everything I could to hate my parents even more. Because as family business owners, you, you don't really see your parents that much. Because they're always working on the business. And so every time that they would come into the house, I made sure I ignored them as much as I thought they were ignoring me. I made sure I left them empty just like they left me empty. And so I worked on my own stuff. Because if they were too busy for me and they were working on their own stuff, I was going to start picking up stuff to work on on my own and ignore them as much as they did to me. I remember this didn't really take effect into my family until I was graduating high school 2017. Come on, somebody. What's up? That's what I do. 2017, I got really busy. Graduated high school, I was turning out. I was going everywhere all the time, always hanging out. Hey, take me there. I was going into my friend's car almost every night. I was just different friends, different cars. Every night, I was out the house. They said, hey, come back at 11. All right, cool, I'll come back at 11 the next day. Just whatever I want. Got saved a little bit later, and I was in church almost every single day. I was serving. Everybody thought I was the holiest person, but I would go home, and I would hate my family. So much so, I would walk into the house, go to the kitchen, get my apple juice. I love me some Mott's apple juice. My mom would walk from the bedroom. I would walk straight to my room. Years and years. And throughout all those years, every time my mom would catch me, she'd say, hey, son, can I get a hug? I, remem I remember the anger I felt every time she would ask me for a hug. Moments. For years I did this. I would go up to her. 
put my shoulder on her chest, she would hug me tight, and I would walk away. Over and over, I disrespected them. I did not give them the love they asked for because I felt like I was done wrong from elementary all the way to high school. Didn't look at her in the eyes. She would try to talk to me. I would say, yep, nope, okay, walk right away. And there was one day, there was one day, there was one day. I woke up, and I was home alone. And I don't know why, but when I woke up, I told myself, man, you know what would be really nice today? A hug from my mom. And I was frustrated because I hated that woman. But I woke up one day and I was like, I hate her so much. Why do all, why, why is the only thing I want today a hug? And all day long I was home alone. I remember I was in college, but I, I didn't even go to school that day. I was frustrated. I was like, why is the only thing that would satisfy me today a hug from my mom? I hate her. She abandoned me. She was nothing to me. Now she's trying to show up in my life when it's too late. And the only thing I seem to desire right now is a hug. My mom gets home later that day. I hug her so tight, walk to my room, and I cry for hours. Didn't say hello. Didn't tell her what was happening all day long. She walked into the kitchen like she always does. She couldn't even ask me for a hug. I hugged her. I walked to my room, locked the door, and I weeped, and I weeped, and I weeped. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and he was saying, Dennis, I need you to understand that if you just receive love long enough, it's only a matter of time before every wall you've built up is broken. Every law that held you is gone. If you just receive love long enough, there's going to come a day where one day you're going to want to love back. And the reason I share that is because there's people in the room right now that are saying, man, I don't know why. I just can't pray like everyone else does. I can't worship in the room like I don't know why. I want to lift my hands, but they just stay stuck in my pockets. What do I do to love God the way he loves me? All All I need to let you know tonight is just receive more love. Receive more love. If you receive love long enough, there will come a moment where you're going to decide you want to love back. So tonight, maybe you tried fasting and you failed at your fast. I need to let you know, just fast again. Receive more love. Fast again. Just keep on. Maybe you tried waking up at 5 a.m. and you snoozed your alarm. You went right back to sleep. You did not do it as you wanted to. Just put another alarm tomorrow. 5 a.m. Receive more love all day long. Receive more love. Because it's not doing things for God that will lead you to love him more. But what it is, it's loving him more that would lead you to do things for God. I I wrote it down this way, and and I believe the the church in Galatia needed to hear it this way. And it's that we think following the law makes us fall in love. But in reality, it's falling in love that leads to following the law. Jesus says this thing, and and we call it manipulation in relationships. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Isn't that like the number one advice we give relationships not to do? <laughs> but yet God does it. The number, if, if your boyfriend ever tells you to do this if you love him, he's not for you. He's not for you. Then they follow it up with like the worst advice. Go, go to a bar. Find the guy there. It's like, what? Okay, hold on. I'm with you. But Jesus responds to us in scripture and he says, if you love me, You'll keep my commands. Jesus, are you manipulating me? No, no, he's not manipulating you. He's showing you an equation. He's showing you a path. He's saying it's not doing things that leads to love. It's love that leads to doing things. So maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you can't stop watching porn. I get that. I feel you. Maybe you can't stop cheating on your boyfriend. 
That's tough, bro. It really hurts. Maybe you're confused about where you are in life right now. You just feel so sad because you're not where everybody else is doing, bro. It's really difficult. I get that. Tonight, maybe your answer isn't by adding more stuff. Maybe your answer is simply in receiving more love. Maybe to be successful, I don't have to do more things. Maybe to be successful, I just have to receive love long enough to push me to do more things. To push me to read God's word more. And when I read God's word more, guess what I do? I'll experience him, get more love from him, and it'll push me to read even more. Maybe when I pray, I'll experience God, receive more love from God, and that'll make me want to pray even I love what he says here because now he's shifting. He, he starts talking about how we walk this thing out. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So I need you to understand that freedom from God comes with responsibility. See, a, a lot of us, we associate freedom with the letting of something go. But I need to let you know that freedom is only freedom from God because as you let something go, you're holding on to something else. Just as, I, as I let go of burden, I receive opportunity. As I let go of addiction, I receive good habits. So it's never just letting go that leads to freedom. It's letting go and holding on to something that actually moves you forward. That's the true definition of freedom. It's not just, oh my God, I no longer have to do this. It's now, oh, I get to do this instead. See, a lot of us in Christianity, we say, oh, my God, I, I, I can't have sex before marriage. No, you actually get to wait instead. A lot of us, we focus on what we cannot do, but I need to let you know, as there's some cannots, God always leads to a more can. It's a bigger can. It's a better can. It's a more purpose-filled can. Yes, I cannot do these things, but there's so much more that I can do now that I've desired to stop doing the other things. Oh, my God, I, I can't smoke. Yeah, but now you got to have peace of mind on your own, not relying on substances. Oh, my God, I can't gossip yet, but now you actually get to have friends instead of gossiping about enemies. Oh, my God, I can't go out partying. I can't go out to the house parties. I can't go out drinking and getting drunk. Yeah, but now you actually get to wake up every morning feeling good about yourself because, you know, you're waking up in a purpose and not just sitting back in the past. You get to remember the memories you make with your friends now. Not just live through them on your Instagram or on your photos app. Some of y'all got so many photos and memories, you're paying for iCloud. I don't pay for iCloud, baby. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and God is saying in Galatians, freedom that comes from God requires responsibility. I love what he says. This is how he writes it down in 513, chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Oh, what a great calling. Ready, ready, ready. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, instead, you see, that's not the purpose of freedom. There's a new one. He says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. Oh, my God, you want to be a better husband? Maybe you need to practice that. Just serve one another. You've been using the freedom of a husband to, to receive all these pleasures. But maybe the greatest freedom you could receive should lead to serving your wife a bit better. I love what he says right here, verse 16. Three verses later, verse 16. I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, how do I walk by the Spirit, Pastor Dennis? Galatians 5, the very next. If you just read the Bible, you'll find the answers on your own. You know what I'm saying? 
Next verses, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Jesus, oh my God, look at how crazy this is. Jesus removes the law, and then he gives you a new way of living that's even better than the law if it was still there. He says, even if there was a law, all these things, there's no law against it. So whether we have a law or we don't have a law, living the way Jesus lived will lead to holiness. Whether there's a system or there is no system, whether there's a structure or there is no structure. If I live by the way of Jesus, there's nothing against the way I live. I'm closing with this. And I, I killed a bird recently. I did. I did. I was driving to church Sunday morning. Praise and hallelujah. What's the song we sang? Oh, what if we believed it? Boom, hit him. I knew he was dead because when I looked in my rearview mirror, he was. I know, I know, I know. Sucked. Ruined my whole Sunday. I couldn't, I couldn't even worship straight. I was like, God, if you left the grave, oh my God, grave, there's a bird dead on the road. God, if you resurrected, oh God, that, that bird's not going to resurrect. God, make a way for me. Oh my God, the bird got in the way you made for me and I killed it. God, oh my God, it was bad. It was bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. Instantly killed the vibe, right? It's like, boom, I can't even worship no more. Volume down, sit in silence, driving to church. Anybody ever killed an animal on the road? I just want to see any road killers here. Okay, you are Mad Max. Come on, somebody. Mad Max. Yo, isn't it crazy that the moment you killed it, you were like, oh. Oh, my, oh, my God. You just like, your, your shoulders, your shoulders and elbows just lock in and you're just like, nah, I didn't do that. There's no way a holy man of God could run over and, no, no way. You see, Literally, I'm not even lying to you. Ten minutes later, I was so chill. So, Jay, what's going on, Pastor? What's going on? Oh my God, what's going on? Hold me out. Yo, I killed an animal today. Ah! <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't judge. All y'all just laughed about your animal experience. Huh? Hey, bro, I ran him over. That boy's like a boodoo. Go. Right? <laughs> I, I, I want to be honest with you. There is something worse than killing an animal on the road. Now, many of us have experienced this, but I have experienced it, and I hope somebody in the room can relate to me, and it's killing a plant. Some of you are like, what the heck, bro? You see, but you, you, didn't, you didn't raise the plant the way Pastor Dennis raised the plant. I'll take everything to the next level. Come on, baby. You know me. What? <laughs> I got a plant from Target. It was like a self-watering plant. It had like a shoelace that you cut in between the dirt, and at the bottom it had water, so the water would go into the shoelace on top of the soil, and it would water the plant. Super cool thing, $5 at Target. Come on, somebody. And I spent weeks raising this baby. I saw him from the seed to the sapling. Come on, somebody. I remember the first time I saw something spread out the soil. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. There's something coming out. It's green. It's majestic. This is what God did to me. He made me from the dirt. I'm making something. I am like God right now. I'm experiencing what you experienced, God. Holy moment. Holy moment. It's crazy. I remember more green stuff started popping out. I didn't even know what the heck they were. I thought I only put one seed in. It was mad green stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm making a garden. 
And then one day, one day, one, one day, I, I go to my garden. It's like a little, literally the size of my hands rolled up. I go to my beautiful garden. My, my garden of Eden is what I'm going to call it. I went to Eden in my porch, and he was drooped down. So, you know, my mom has a teacher, um, and she has a big old garden in her backyard. So I go to my mom's school the next day or the two days after, whatever. I have a conversation. I'm like, hey, Miss Martinez, I, 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 this is happening to my plant. Is this plant, I don't remember the name of it. Is this plant, this is happening. What should I do? She said, boy, you can't do nothing no more. I was like, no, 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 no. Do not tell me this right now. There's no way. She said, yeah, Dennis, um, you, you drowned it. I said, what do you mean I drowned my plant? It's not an ocean. What are you talking about? I don't got a pool in my house. It's dirt. I can't drown dirt. She said, hey, you put too much water. And it just choked. I knew I got over my roadkill incident in like 10 minutes. That plant dying on me lasted like a month. Every time I went to my porch, I saw where he used to be. And I was like, my baby. Oh, my God. Every time I would see the sun hit me, I was like, oh, my God. Why can't it just hit my plant one more time? It was depressing. I'm not going to y'all laughing, but I was serious. I was sad. I was going through a season, a sad season. You know, it's crazy how most of us, we feel like we'll experience the fruit of the Spirit like how I experience roadkill. If I just drive long enough, I'll end up hitting something. If I just drive long enough, I'll hit some, I'll hit some peace. Ooh, got some peace there. I'll hit some joy, got some joy. And we feel like following Jesus is like going down the road and driving. And if we hit something, then we hit something. Maybe I'll get a blessing. Maybe I won't get a blessing. I'm just going to keep on driving. I'll get it. I'll go to church and I'll get it. I'll I'll keep making my way. I'll hang out with the right people. I'll say the right things, post the right things. I won't show the wrong things. And I'll just end up hitting something along the way. But the reality is it's much more like farming, not driving. It's something you got to spend time. It's something you got to put into the soil. It's something I was so stupid. I would talk to my plant. I said, boy, you looking good today, boy. Somebody told me that if you talk to them, they feel happy and they grow healthier. I was, I, we was raging. Hey, hey, Right? We sing that. No way, no way. I guess I need it. I was singing all the time. I, I was talking to, I look like a loser in my backyard and I spent so much time. Can I let you know things matter more when you spend time with them? Maybe the reason that you don't love God the way someone else does and you feel like you got to be like them is just the amount of time you spent with God. And so we spend time with people that love God thinking that it's going to rub off on us. Instead of spending time with God ourselves, saying, God, you are just holy. You are so good. God, you are perfect. You are blamed. I, I love the verse Joe Bell was sharing. Man, they're in heaven, and they're not singing, God, you're cool. God, we love you. They didn't even say, God, we love you. You know what they said? They said, holy, holy, holy. Because what makes a difference is not saying you love God, but it's understanding how God is. And so Paul, 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 Paul literally spends the entire book of Galatians, and we'll end it next week, but he spends the whole book simply reminding them the original story of Jesus. It's not by learning something new. It's not by singing a new worship song. It's simply with this fact, knowing who Jesus is. And so tonight, if you're a Christian, whether it's your first time or you've been here since day one, I want you to know the way that you get closer to God. This is the easy way. Can you throw that verse up, the last one, Galatians 5.22? Just write this down, poor favor. Write this down somewhere. Take a picture of it. 
For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And for the next two months, for the next three months, go back to the other one. For the next three months, I just want you to start checking off every time you practice these things. Practice love. Practice joy. How do I grow my relationship with Jesus? Go to the fruit of the Spirit and just scratch one off every time you feel like you've done a good job at it that day. I practice love today. Scratch it off. I practice joy today. Scratch it off. The next day, I practice love today. I practice joy today. I practice peace. I practice kindness. And every day you wake up, let this be your thermometer. Let this be your measurement of whether you're following Jesus or not. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in my life. He lives in my heart, better said. And if I live by the Spirit, guess what I'll have? Not a bunch of dead animals. Not some roadkill that I accidentally hit. I, if I have the Spirit in me, I'll bear His fruit. I want, I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. Worship team, can y'all just join me up here? I, I really feel like it's moments like these that build up the fruit. It's, it's moments where you can't water yourself, so somebody has to water you. Because you came here tired, and you're saying, Dennis, I know i got to practice it, but I'm just so tired. I'm so frustrated, God. It just doesn't make sense. And so you come into rooms like this knowing that you have to practice certain things, but you just don't have the energy to practice it. And so that's why rooms like this are so important. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Rooms like this are important because when you don't have water to water yourself, you can just lean on the person next to you and let them water you. It's not with a different kind of water. It's not, it's not some special thing that they have that you don't have. It's the same Jesus. But it's relying on their moment with God saying, hey, if God can do it for them and they're right next to me, he can do it for me. You see, moments like this should build the moments that you have at home on your own. Moments like this are not the only moments. These are the moments that build your moments at home on your own. And tonight, I, I need to give you some bad news that will lead to good news. Nobody's looking around. Everybody's listening real close. You can't have the fruit of the Spirit unless you have the Spirit. How, how do I get the Spirit? It's through Jesus. Come on, week one. And it's only through Jesus. The moment you receive Jesus, a.k.a. receiving that love, you are now in the perfect position to respond with love. I, just, I don't care about God, Pastor Dennis. I'm going to be real honest with you. Well, then think about how much he cares about you, whether you care about him or not. I just don't know if I'm really about that life. He's about you so much that he gave up his life. And so tonight, and nobody's looking around, I want to give you a moment to respond. If there's anyone in this room that says, man, tonight I need Jesus in my heart. I want to live by the Spirit. I want to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I want to experience this life that he has tonight. If you want to say yes to Jesus right where you're at, can you just lift up your hand if there's anyone in this room? Come on, there's one hand in the room. If there's anyone else in this room, there's a second hand in this room. Anyone else, come on. This is your opportunity with Jesus. Come on, is there anybody else? There's two hands lifted up. Come on, can every person just stand up in the room real quick? Can we all get up on our feet real quick? Come on, there's a party in heaven. We're believing right now that the two that said yes to Jesus, God is moving. God is grateful.